Future City is made possible by McCormick and Company. Through its Flavor for Life program, McCormick helps teach kids and families in Baltimore how to replace salt, sugar, and fat. More information can be found at McCormickCorporation.com. Hey, I'm Charles Robinson, and welcome to Future City, the monthly show here on WYPR, where we move the conversation from what's wrong to what's next. When you were much younger, a parent or guardian likely pushed you along to show you how to ride a bike. After a few missteps, you found your balance and were on your way. As you got older, the bicycle got bigger and the speeds got faster. Over the Labor Day weekend, Baltimore will play host to cyclists from all over the world who will vie to win the Maryland Cycling Classic. It's the second year Charm City will play host to the 141-mile race. The race extends from Baltimore County to Baltimore City. One of those who knows a thing or two about the race is Scott McGill. McGill grew up in Baltimore County and participated in last year's race. He'll give us some insight on the course. Sean Flournoy is an amateur cyclist and tells us what it takes to be a professional. Flournoy will also break down what you need to eat to get to the finish line. We kick off the show with the race organizers, Terry Hasseltine and Stephen Bruner. They give us insight into what's in store for this year's participants and their strategies. I am delighted to have with me one of the individuals who is involved in the Maryland Cycling Classic. Terry, this has got to be one of the most exciting times for you as far as cycling in the state of Maryland. Well, it's a huge time for the state of Maryland and our cycling community to be able to host a you know, pro series uh, event uh, in the greater Baltimore region covering Baltimore County and the city of Baltimore. Uh, we're super excited and we're just you know, waiting to get to Labor Day weekend to do uh, do what we do best, which is to showcase our great city and our great state to the cycling community and um, viewers abroad. This isn't your first year. You've been through this process once. Let's explain to the audience where this race starts and where it ends, if you will. Yeah, so we have the good fortune that we have, you know, the county and the city both highly engaged in this activity. So the race starts at the Sparks at Kelly Benefits at noon on Sunday the 3rd, and then it ends with what we hope will be an epic finish on Pratt Street um, around 4.30 or so on that same afternoon um, right here in downtown Baltimore. Well, one of the things that I think as a casual cyclist, this is not for the faint of heart. This is a long race. This is 121 miles, and it's almost the equivalent of a, a Tour de France, is it not? It is. I mean, it's uh, it's very challenging. People across the, you know, the U.S. as well as people abroad, you know, see the landscape here probably on maps and everything and don't realize how much rolling terrain uh, makes up the greater Baltimore area and that this is a tough course. It's being compared to the Amsdale, which is an event over in Europe, um, which is one of the most difficult, you know, races on, on the professional, you know, circuit. So when people come over here, we're testing 121 miles, a great rolling terrain out in the county where they do about 80 miles and they come in the city and do, you know, four, seven and a half mile circuits in order to crown a champion at the end. I note that, uh, you know, you are drawing a lot of people from 
all over the world. Are there any U.S. participants in this race as well? There are several U.S. participants. It's a, a Team USA team in the event, and then the Team U.S. riders that make up some of the other teams. The interesting part about this event is you might have a team from Israel or a team from Spain or whatever, but their roster is made up from athletes all over the globe. So the team from Spain might be representing that country. However, their athletes could be from Africa, could be from Japan, could be from somewhere in Europe and somewhere in North America. So the rosters are broad. We're representing 25 countries as it pertains to where the athletes are coming to compete in this year's Maryland Cycling Classic. What's the weight of an average bike that one of these riders are riding it? Well, now that you're going to stump me on that one, I know they're light. Um, <laughs> I picked them up and, you know, I'd say, you know, they're under 10 pounds, you know, from what it feels like to me. But there are thousands and thousands of dollars that, you know, worth of bike equipment underneath these riders. And hence why you have all the mechanics following the route. You have the security behind them. You know, this is like NASCAR, but on bikes. Um, it is phenomenal. It's fast. I mean, these guys are going to get up in 45, 50 miles an hour on a bike. I was going to say one of the things, you know, as a closeted NASCAR fan, I noticed there's a lot of drafting going on. Uh, would you explain what drafting is to the average uh, listener? So drafting is basically where you take the inertia of the person in front of you to build momentum for yourself. So that when you hit the right part of a course, you can jump outside of that inertia and pass them um, because you have uh, saved your energy, per se, before you had to make the kick that you needed to get past them. I was going to say this year you added a new element. You're going to have a helicopter overhead. Yes. I can tell you, I, I really enjoyed watching from the ground level, mm -hmm. especially when it got into the city, because, you know, I think a lot of people have images of the city as, oh, it's just an urban landscape. But this was more, I mean, when you go through the neighborhoods of uh, Mount Vernon and, and through East Baltimore, you realize Baltimore is a very picturesque city. Yes. I mean, we call this event a postcard to the world. We're giving a chance to really showcase Baltimore and Baltimore County at its best. I mean, you have this beautiful race in this Peloton going through a community. You'll have an overhead helicopter watching overhead, being able to expose the region in which they're about to travel in. So the narrator will be able to say they're about to make it into Mount Vernon. They're about to make it into the Guilford Hall area. They're about to wherever they're going to go. So people who are watching the race on television now can know what they're about to experience. So then when they come here as a visitor, they say, I want to go where the riders went. And now they'll have a little bit of a roadmap of that picturesque beauty that they saw throughout the entire race. And I can tell you, because of the architecture in downtown Baltimore, no no two communities are the same. No, we're very blessed here in Baltimore to be a melting pot of so many different eclectic communities and so many great neighborhoods. And that's why this year we're bringing you know, watch parties out into the neighborhood so that people can experience the race from a different perspective. So if you were here last year and you watched along Pratt Street, this year you can get into Harbor East, you can get up near Guilford Hall, you can get out to Mount Vernon. And we created these really cool little you know, watch nooks. And if you want to get out into the rolling terrain of Baltimore County, there's places up there that we've identified that are great watch areas, like the King of the Mountain parts of the race where you're watching the, you know, the riders have to take on the biggest challenges of, you know, significant incline. So this year, we took the learnings of last year, implemented some new things so that people could really experience the totality of the greater Baltimore area while watching the race. 
I'm going to tell you, let's just get to the race because I can tell you last year, this was one of the thrilling uh, finishes, I guess, of any road race that you have had an opportunity to take a look at. Talk about the margin of victory and 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 how the racers have to strategically make the decision. Is it time to move yet? Mm -hmm. So last year we had an epic finish. I mean, we had a great sprint down Pratt Street and it was neck and neck amongst four or five riders. And then right at the end, Sepp made a move um, that I had not seen on a bike and he was able to put his front tire just, I mean, I'm talking millimeters ahead of um, human powered health. So it was an epic finish. Um, you know, Israel premier team ended on top of the podium and, and Seth was a you know gracious champion, but realizing that he won by millimeters. You didn't talk about feet. You're not talking about head. You're talking millimeters. As far as tourism is concerned, this is a really big deal, isn't it? Yes, I mean we're anticipating um, an excess of a hundred thousand people, you know, coming in to watch the race on that Sunday. You know, not all hundred thousand people will make it into downtown, you know, Baltimore, but they'll be out and about on the course. That's very significant amount of people coming into a region for the purpose of cycling. It also is a great showcase to show that our city and our and our um, region really understand how to welcome, host, and provide world class experiences to our guests. And we're we're super excited to be able to showcase the city of Baltimore, the county of Baltimore, as well as the state of Maryland through the eyes of a cyclist. Why don't you let people know where if they need more information? about the Maryland Cycling Classic, where they can get it? MarylandCyclingClassic.us. Reminder, .us. So MarylandCyclingClassic.us. Everything you need to know about the race, about the fan zones, about the activations throughout the entirety of the weekend. This is a major event on Sunday. However, the weekend of activities with the bike jam on Friday, in-school programming on Friday as well, and then we have the team introductions at Harbor Point on Saturday evening, all open to the public. Everybody's welcome. There are only very few VIP locations that you can't attend unless you are purchased into them, but it's open to the public. It's a great festival of cycling throughout the entirety of Labor Day weekend. So come join us, MarylandCyclingClassic.us. Thank you, Terry Hasseltine, for joining us on Future City. Well, thank you for having me. So I am delighted to be joined by Steve Brunner, Steve, let's begin with this idea. Um, you've been doing these kind of events uh, for a long time. What made Baltimore an ideal situation for you? The history goes back in a couple different ways. Uh, my partner, at least on the event side, uh, Chris Ehrenholt with Medal of Sports, who's based in Atlanta, uh, we had done a series of events, um, including a long event in uh, California, one in Colorado, one in Alberta. And we've done events, several countries, as well as more than, well, I think, 15 states. And we were looking to change the model from a lot of the week-long events that we had had and look at a more economic model, um, which would include a, a one-day event, but with more precursor and ancillary events. And so we were shopping that around. We had talked to about 15 different cities and uh, we were talking to Terry Hasseltine and he was starting a new nonprofit called the Sport and Entertainment Corp of uh, Maryland. And he was looking for 
a cycling event. And he had talked to Chris probably 10 years ago about possibly doing a longer event, like a week long event, which is what we had in uh, California and Alberta and Colorado. And um, the timing was kind of right, but then it was tripped up for two years, not just one, but two by COVID. Um, it was in 2020 is when we were supposed to launch and then it got cut. Uh, and then 2021, the city wasn't quite ready, you know, at that time coming out of COVID. So it's been a series of events to get where we're at. Um, but, you know, Baltimore is a great city historically for cycling. The first U.S. Pro Championship was there. Uh, the Tour de Trump back in 1989 and 1990. And then the Tour de Pont uh, came through Maryland. Uh, so there's all this history within cycling, maybe that people don't know. And then, you know, if you look at it from, a, um, you know, if you look at the East Coast, it's perfectly situated in the Mid-Atlantic. And there's a lot of uh, fandom, you know, for cycling and, and just it's a great sporting city. So I think a combination of all those elements led to where we are today. I can tell you, I watched last year's event. And I can tell you that the ending was pretty thrilling. Yeah, I think the uh, way the course was set up and designed, um, and this was patterned after a classic race in Europe, um, the Tour de France, people know, but it's three three long weeks. Uh, this event is probably closer to something like a Paris-Roubaix, if you've heard of that event. There's other big events called the Liège-Besson-Liège. But these one-day classic races, which they had in Philadelphia for almost 30 years, was the big one-day race. That's what this is patterned after. So we had two circuits up in the county like we do this year and then four circuits in the finish. So it's great kind of more modernized model as opposed to in Europe where they just go point to point. And in the U.S., I think you got to put on a little bit more of a show. And that's why we have four circuits in uh, central Baltimore. And I think that lends itself to really good viewing. You could actually see the start, which will be at noon in uh, Sparks at, at Kelly Benefits, goes out around the Pretty Boy Reservoir and all the way up to the Pennsylvania state line and then comes back in into the city. Uh, and that'll be probably from three to five on Sunday the 3rd. I was going to tell you that uh, it looked beautiful on television. And I note that a lot of the racers were used to a lot of flats. This is This is a pretty rigorous course. It is. And it's funny, you know, I live in Colorado where you, know, you got the Rocky Mountains and we've had these events where these you got these major climbs that are literally 15 miles. Some of them that we had on on that event. Um, and here it's uh, kind of death by a thousand cuts because uh, out in the county, it's just undulates uh, like crazy. And, and it's interesting to look at. Uh, last year's race and the way the teams looked at the race and the composition of the riders. So there were uh, there was one team out of Australia uh, called Jaco Alula. They had two of the best sprinters in the world, and they came, I think, thinking that it was going to be a pretty easy course. They got dropped in the first 35 minutes uh, of the race because it was so undulating. And so there's 8,524 feet of elevation over 120 mile race. And so this year, what you're seeing is you're seeing a lot of the top teams and some of these teams were in the Tour de France, they're bringing their top climbers. So I think kind of lesson learned that Maryland is not flat 
maybe if you go down to the shore, you'll, you'll see that. But it really is a rigorous outer loop, as I was talking about before, uh, especially around Pretty Boy Res Reservoir, it just never stops uh, going up and down. And so that was a big part of the differentiation and why there were such big breaks uh, in time last year. So I think, you know, talking to some of the riders that will be in this year's race, the one thing that's very evident is I think they'll probably be raced differently. So it's going to be interesting to see if that will slow the course, you know, uh, or at least the race before it gets onto the circuits, you know, in central Baltimore. So, you know, thank you for pointing that out. I think a lot of people have found out that Maryland is not flat. Um, and that certainly the outer part of the course has got this really interesting terrain and topography that plays a role for these world-class athletes that even they didn't really know, even if they scouted it, it didn't probably felt different when they were racing at high speeds. I was going to say, most of these races are going about 30 miles an hour. And uh, while that seems fast, uh, by the time you get into the city, it's, it's, it's a barn burner. It's, you know, it's not just a, you know, Oh yeah, we got to go down a hill and then come back up a hill. Now I noted that, you know, sometimes you have these breakaway cyclists that wasn't the case it, well i think it was initially and some people just ran out of energy yeah i mean you've got a 200 kilometer so basically around a 124 mile race so i think for the average person that's already long right i mean it, it certainly is for me and uh what happens though is we've got these different levels of teams. You've got teams that were in the Tour de France. We've had six of those this year. You've got a second level called the Pro Tour teams, and they race at a really high level. Uh, but then we're afforded the ability to invite uh, continental teams, so some of the top teams in the U.S. And, and South America. So with that composition, it's vastly different than just the Tour de France, where you've got a really you know, kind of like similar, I don't know what it would be similar to it. You know, it'd be similar to having the, you know, the same major league baseball players and all of a sudden then you've mixed in a triple a and a double a. And so what happens with that composition, you know, in a race is that it shoots a lot of the traditional ways you would race in the tour de France or even in the continental racing in the U S kind of out the window but that's also what makes it interesting because you've got all these kind of different flavors in there of, of racing. If you saw the way the team from Columbia that's coming up here, which races on the continental calendar, they're really aggressive the way they race. It's just kind of the way they race in South America. Then you take the big races in Europe where it's a little bit like the NBA where, you know, they kind of relax for the first two, maybe three quarters, but then they, uh, you know, you'll see all of a sudden the top, kind of cream rises to the top at, at the end of the race. Well, that always shot out the window because of these varying uh, uh, degrees of racing. And so what it did is it actually animated the race more. And we'll see that probably more this year. So over 120 miles, really from the gun, they were racing last year, which is exciting. That's what you want. You don't want this traditional, uh, let's wait and see what happens. And so that's the interesting thing, of, I think, about an American race with all these different levels of racing coming together is that it actually makes it more exciting. And if you look for these things as a fan, you'll start seeing, oh, wow, it, it, you'll see a breakaway and then you'll see them get caught and then another breakaway will go and then they'll get caught. 
that's essentially what you want. It's a cat and mouse game all the way to the finish line. And that's what happened last year. And we anticipate there'll be a little bit of that this year. I want to get out of here on this. And Steve, what do you hope that the fans of Baltimore and the surrounding region will get out of this? I think it's, it's multi. We've gone uh, out of our way for a, a lot of reasons. If you looked at the model that I was talking about before, instead of just making it a one-day cycling event that people – it's great to come down and see a world-class event, especially when it's free, which it uh, – you know, we encourage everybody to come down onto Pratt and uh, or anywhere along the circuit. We've got seven and a half miles. It goes through central Baltimore all the way up as far as uh, uh, federal – and uh, come all the way down and, and, and finishing on Pratt, going through uh, Harbor East District, et cetera. Um, so coming out to the event, you know, it's not uh, very often you can see a world-class event uh, for free. So that's, I think, the first point. The second thing is we're, we've got five fan zones now. Four of them are going to be on the circuit. we got one up near Guilford uh, Brew Hall on Guilford and Federal. We've got another one down at Harbor East, and then we have two down at the finish on Pratt, one in front of the aquarium and then one at the finish line in Market and Pratt. And so those fan zones will be activated, get free giveaways. Uh, we've got noisemakers, things like that. So that'll that'll be fun. So I think it's just a fun day out for friends and family just to gather and, and, and come race side. Then the day before, we've got a, a free team introduction where you'll be able to uh, see all these teams from around the world uh, get introduced. That's down at Harbor Point uh, from 5 to 8 on Saturday night. And then the day before, on Friday the 1st, we've got a community bike jam for the youth and families. That's going to be at Patterson Park at the Pulaski Monument. And we've got a one-mile loop, so if you got a bike, bring your bike down there. You know, if you got kids, certainly bring them down. That's kind of a cool event. That's uh, we've got the mayor to endorse. The mayor was out there with his bike last year, which was really awesome. And and that's the kind of stuff you want. You want a community event, so it's not just this world class event. And then the whole event kicks off with a welcome reception at the Reginald uh, F. Uh, Lewis Museum. And uh, this year we're theming it Achievement in African-American Cycling. And we're honoring three individuals. One is Nelson Bales, uh, the first African-American to win a medal in the Olympics in 1984. Uh, Rasan Bahati, a 10-time U.S. Uh, champion. And also Corey Williams, who will be with Legion of Los Angeles, will be in the race. So we got a really cool night planned, you know, as a welcome reception. And I think you know, the sum of all those parts make it a community event, a national event, and an international event all in one weekend. And that's by design. We want to make sure that this has got a long-lasting effect for the community and that uh, it really is inclusive for people who want to come out and enjoy, you know, world-class atmosphere, but have all these other things that kind of bond people around health and wellness in the bike. That's Steve Brunner. He's with the Maryland Cycling Classic, who's coming to Baltimore this coming weekend. Hope you get out and join it. And thank you for joining us here on Future City. Thanks, Terry Hasseltine and Scott Bruner. I'm Charles Robinson, and you're listening to Future City here on 88.1 WYPR. We don't want you to go anywhere. In our next segment, Scott McGill is a professional cyclist and participated in last year's Maryland Cycling Classic. He'll give us some local knowledge of the course and what it takes to get to the finish line. 
We'll hear his assessment when we come back. Welcome back. I'm Charles Robinson, and you're listening to Future City, the monthly show here on 88.1 WYPR, where we move the conversation from what's wrong to what's next. The grueling 141-mile course of the Maryland Cycling Classic begins in Sparks, Maryland. The winding course passes reservoirs and rolling hills is nothing new to Scott McGill. He grew up in Baltimore County, where the race begins. I am delighted to be joined here on Future City by one of the riders of the Maryland Cycling Classic. Scott McGill, most people won't know that you're from this area. Talk a little bit about uh, where you grew up and, you know, and and how you got into racing. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, thanks for uh, having me. Yeah, I'm excited to come home to do do the Maryland Cycling Classic. Yeah, I got started racing, basically, you know, just riding mountain bikes with my dad, uh, mostly in like Gunpowder State Park, which is right right where I, I live now um, in Falston, so in Harper County, and kind of just progressed from there. So I was like, you know, maybe eight or nine years old, just kind of playing around in the woods on mountain bikes and then eventually started doing doing mountain bike races and then started doing road races and then got a little bit better and just slowly progressed and now to where I am now. Your fellow riders, you know, they're used to these European uh, courses that, you know, may have hills, mountains and whatever. What kind of things have you told your fellow riders to be prepared for? The first thing that comes to mind is probably the uh, the humidity and the heat. Uh, I just checked the weather and it's supposed to be 91 on Sunday. And then with the, you know, the Maryland humidity that adds a good bit. <laughs> so definitely, you know, staying hydrated and having, you know, staff out on the course to give bottles and, and ice socks and whatever we need will be crucial. And then also, yeah, like the courses. Yeah. Like I said, just a lot of, a lot of steep climbs, um, no flat roads. So no, no real recovery sections. Um, and then once you get down into the into Baltimore City and into the circuits, then the race will likely be be full on anyway. So there won't be much time to to relax. I was going to say, I know there's a lot of drafting that's going on in yeah. the race, but how much of that is crucial to how you maintain yourself to the end? Um, I mean, that's like that's like ninety percent of the sport right there is, is the drafting effect. Um, so yeah, like. Last year, um, I think people underestimated the course a little bit. So, you know, I was expecting it to be a, a, a big sprint with, you know, the whole field sprint. So like 100 plus riders coming into the finish line together and it ended up blowing up. The race blew up in the beginning and it was, you know, finishing in groups of four, I think, at the finish. Um, and yeah, so so this year it might, you know, people might have an expectation that it'll be a harder race from the beginning. So it could go the other way where everyone expects the race to to kind of explode from the beginning and it actually settles the race down and it could be a bigger sprint. But I guess we'll just have to wait and find out. <laughs> Obviously, you've been out already uh, <laughs> practicing. Tell me what your practice regimen is like. I mean, as far as training goes, you know, we tr- we train. You have to tr- train almost year round, um, stay in shape and, you know, really like live a different lifestyle to a lot of normal people. Um, so yeah, like, you know, training anywhere from 20 to 30 hours a week, typically. 
on the bike um, and then doing a lot of races. You know, sometimes guys will do 60, 60 race days a year. So that's a, that's a lot of competition and a lot of travel that goes along with that also. But as far and then as far as like course recon, I mean, I've done done the course a few times in training when I've been able to be home. You know, like in July, I was home for a few weeks. Um, I'll probably go out this week and do, you know, to get it fresh in my mind to get the course so I can be prepared for whatever happens. I know that uh, your family doesn't always get to see you racing. What's that like for them when they they go, Scott's racing today. We got to be out there. Yeah, it's pretty awesome that the only the only professional race in the U.S. is right right here in Baltimore County in Baltimore City. Um, so my friends and family get to come and watch the race, and it's definitely a different experience to you know traditional American sports where there's no stadium or anything. You can you can go watch wherever on the road. You can you know get in your car and go watch the race go by one spot, and then try and cut cut through the you know the county roads to try and find it a different spot. And then also like, you know, if you go to the Ravens game, you don't get to meet the players, but at the, at this race, if you go to the start, you know, you get, you can, you're right there with the riders. You can go up and ask them questions. You can ask for their autograph. Um, And same with the finish. Like, so it's definitely a, a different sport to traditional American sports, which, you know, it's more engaging with the fans, I think. So hopefully, you know, this race can help to grow, cycling back in the u.s and uh, and hopefully one day we can have you know more than just one one race in the u.s i would like to ask you what do you hope baltimoreans and people in the region will get from watching this international race if you will yeah i mean it'll it's definitely you know we have rider there's riders from i I don't know how many different countries probably 10 plus different countries which like is not something that really typically happens you know in the u.s or in baltimore you know, there's not like this big international group of people coming and it's also a, a niche sport. So hopefully, you know, we can inspire, especially, you know, some younger people to to take up cycling, whether they want to compete or just as a uh, way to stay healthy. Um, I mean, the my the team that I ride for is called Human Powered Health. So, you know, we're trying to promote cycling as a way to to live a healthy lifestyle and to be able to get outside and you know, you can use a bike to commute to work. You can use a bike to, you know, commute anywhere. And also for exercise, it's also a social thing, you know, going on group rides. And so, yeah, to promote cycling in general and hopefully uh, grow the sport, whether that's, like I said, whether that's people competing or just people out enjoying themselves on their bikes. That's Scott McGill. He's one of the riders in the Maryland Classic. Thank you, Scott, for joining us on Future City. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks, Scott McGill. I'm Charles Robinson, and you're listening to Future City here on 88.1 WYPR. You know, we have to take another break, but don't you go anywhere. In our last segment, we'll hear from John Flournoy on how to get to elite status and what to eat to finish the race. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Charles Robinson, and you're listening to Future City the monthly show here on 88.1 WYPR, where we move the conversation from what's wrong to what's next. A cyclist does not start at the professional level, according to Sean Flournoy. Flournoy takes us through the various stages and trials you must compete in to get to elite status. 
Lastly, he talks about making sure you have enough energy to complete the race. Well, first of all, Sean, let's talk a little bit about what you do as far as cycling is concerned. How would you describe yourself as a cyclist? I would say, first of all, call myself an open book. I have a somewhat a good amount of knowledge, but I accumulated that knowledge from actually riding with more seasoned riders than myself. And, you know, coming to the, coming into the game, like, like very full-fledged uh, during COVID, that's when I really picked it up. I actually had a bike since 2018, rode it, but really didn't ride it. Like, I just had a, um, a talk with a couple fellas yesterday that I rode with, and I just always explain to them, hey, if you ever need that information, because it's not just about being physical in, in this sport, it's also about actually having the mentals. Well, let's talk about your bike. Is this something that you can just pick up at the, you know, local local store, or is it, it, it does it have to be different? There's levels to it. So I, I would say my first bike, it was a Giant Contend 1, and it was a 7-speed. Then I came across... um. The individual I used to ride, we had a Bianchi, and it was 11-speed. So the difference in the gear ratio, yes, you're going to work harder on the actual less gears than the individual with the tighter ratio. He's going to have more range. So that means, like, so So let's say we're climbing a hill, and he has a, a smaller gear range. He's going to climb a hill and change a gear. It's not going to be a big jump in the actual amount of power you have to put down. With the 7-speed, you're going to be climbing. It, it may go from easy to very hard or, you know, vice versa. So it's not anything you could just go to your local Walmart and pick up. So, like, when an individual asks me, you know, how much my bike costs, well, essentially my frame is $1,700, but the components I have on there make up the entire bike because you can go from aluminum or you could do carbon. And majority of the entry-level carbons, you're, you're talking about, anywhere from 3500 to maybe $5,000. So individuals see that number, then they're like, oh, I'm just going to go to Walmart then <laughs> and, and, and go buy a bike and think they're going to keep up because individuals just look at it like, oh, it's just a bike. Oh, it's just a bike. But at, once you get into the nitty-gritty of it, you're like, oh, it's really not just a bike. Although what I stress to every individual Yes, the bike has about 10 to 20% to do with your, your actual performance, but it's really you. It has nothing to do with, well, I'm not going to say it has nothing to do with the bike, but if you don't have the engine to propel the bike forward, the bike is just like another pair of shoes. Well, one of the things uh, we wanted to talk to you about is, obviously, uh, you you work with a group of individuals and you ride relatively consistently. Talk about training for uh, especially uh, local races, because this race that we are talking about, the Maryland Cycling Classic, this is not for the faint of heart. This is, this is I mean, we're talking 121 miles, but for the amateur who's out there, talk about your training regimen, if you will. Depending on what, what race I may have coming up, you can actually get a, a overview of the course. So does it have a hill? Is it more flat? Is it, you know, four corners? Um, is it technical? What I do is crit racing. So it's essentially like MotoGP. It could be a parking lot. It could be a um, neighborhood. 
It could be a city street, so they block off a, cu- a couple of uh, streets, make some corners for us, and we're, we're ripping like 30-some miles per hour through corners. We may have like five, six corners, but if it's something very technical, that type of race, you actually want to prepare for like high intensity. So what I mean by high intensity, like like hit training. So that would be like you could do 30 seconds and maybe 450 watts and 30 seconds at um like 170 watts. And you could do that eight times, but you could do four sets of that or five sets or six sets of that. Because essentially, every time you turn a corner, you're going to have to accelerate out of that corner to get back up to speed. Now, if it's something like a heel, you have a dynamic crit and they actually threw a heel in there, for instance, like heel repeats, because that, that essentially what it would be. So let's say you see the course, you mapped it out on a ride GPS, and th- that's the actual um, platform I use to actually tell you exactly the gradients of the heel. So you'll go out and train for a minute, depending on your weight, because it all comes down to weight. So if, if you're a more heavier rider, you're going to have to put out twice as much rider than a lighter rider. But if you're a lighter rider and you put out that amount of power as the heavier rider, you're, you're going to drop him all day. Now, if, if it's a flat four-corner crit, no heels, not very technical, you're talking about just raw power. So that's when the heavier riders will actually uh, excel in that type of race because it's, it's about just raw power. How much power can you produce you know, majority of the amateur races are anywhere from 30 to 40 to 50 minutes to an hour. So let me ask this because I, you know, I know sometimes you have to worry about dietary restrictions, but one of the big things that I know that racers like yourself do is you load up on the carbs because you're going to lose a lot of carbs. Can you explain that to us? Yes. So you don't like load up on the cars like the, I mean, you can the day before, but you kind of like prime your system a week out. There's a fine event down in Newport News called a tour in Newport. It's three days of racing. So you have Friday, Saturday, you actually have two races. You have a time trial in the morning, you have a crit race in the afternoon, and you have a, um, a circuit race on Sunday. So if I know that I had, I had that coming up the following weekend, I would start carb overloading on, you know, Monday. So I would have my normal breakfast, lunch, dinner, although on dinner, I would have my dinner, but it's kind of like you're stuffing yourself. You would throw that pasta in there. You you would throw, you know, at first thing in the morning, you would throw that oatmeal in there along with your breakfast. So, you know, oatmeal, honey, maybe some grains in there. You cut up your bananas, put in there, put all your fruits in there. So you're essentially priming the system because you're absolutely correct. You're going to run through all of those carbohydrates in, in a very high-intensity race. You know, is there some go-to food that uh, gives you energy? So with me, I mentioned, you know, oatmeal in the morning, oatmeal, uh, pasta, that works well for me, rice. I, I'll actually go to a race, and I'll just have rice. I'll make a rice cake. I'll eat that. Think, oh, another thing is very, very... Well, it helps me, um, beet juice. I'll drink beet juice throughout the entire race season. So from February, early September, I'm drinking beet juice. Is that like your energy drink? As far as energy, I may, I'm not a big coffee person, but sometimes I'll drink coffee. Although majority of my um, pre-mix has caffeine in there, maybe like 35 milligrams of caffeine. 
Well, what I normally do for a race, I will, as I'm warming up, I have a, depending on if it's real, if it's real hot, I'll make an ice pack, put that on my back. Although if it's not that hot, I would just have the, the carbs inside of a um, bottle and I'll drink before I race. So that's essentially, I'm already priming the system with the carbohydrates, with the caffeine and um, the electrolytes. Then I'll actually make another mix with just full of electrolytes because, you know, you're sweating throughout the race and you need to replace those electrolytes. Well, let's get into this racing thing because mm-hmm. I, I know that sometimes you have partners along with you who kind of make sure you're at the pace that you need to. Do you do that with others or are you kind of like, hey, I got this by myself? So let me just break it down. So so you have categories. When, when you first start out, you have category five, you have category four, category three, category two, and category one. And when you get to the category one and two, that's when you actually, and you go to the national races, that's where, you know, professional teams start looking at you. So when you get to like category three and everyone is, you know, they're, they're pretty good handling their bike. They can turn the corners. They're okay riding very close to each other because the higher you go up in categories, the closer you'll be together. So just imagine, again, 30 plus miles per hour and you're bar to bar or shoulder to shoulder with somebody and you have to be comfortable with your bike and you guys are turning together. So as far as racing and the team dynamics, within inside of your team, you have to figure out Who's going to play what role? Okay, so do you have an individual that just has sustainability? That, so to break that down, that just means can he hold power? He may be the breakaway guy. Or do you have a punchy guy? So he may be the guy that's going to animate the race. As soon as the whistle is blown, he's going to attack, or he may wait a couple of laps to attack, but he's setting up the guy for the breakaway because the name in the game is someone to attack, 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 then eventually the field would be like, all right, well, he's not really going anywhere. Then the guy you actually want to go up the road, and what I mean by go up the road, yeah, the peloton is together. You break away from the peloton, and if he's away from the peloton, you're in the peloton, you would say, oh, he's up the road because he's away from you. That's one role. Then you have a sprinter. The sprinter, that's the guy you're going to rely to that's going to get the team to the line because from what I've learned and, you know, speaking to teams has been around for a very long time they, they split the winnings so let's say you have a, you know say a pot of twelve hundred dollars and it's, it's for you guys you guys are going to split that because your sprinter actually got to the line first and he's going to get the winnings he splits it amongst his teammates and that's how you, you can make your money on an amateur level obviously we've all seen the tour de france right and and that's like the pin ultimate of bicycle racing I guess at some point you're thinking, oh, yeah, I could do that. But this is not for the faint of heart, is it not? It's not, because I say that to say cycling is a very grueling sport. Yes, you have to be physically in shape, but the mental the mental part behind it. If you're not feeling good, you're not riding good. If you're not looking good, you're not riding good. And if you're not getting your sleep, you're not riding good. Again, we can go back to the nutrition. If you're not getting the correct nutrition, you're not riding good. And to think, it's just like here in the U.S., you know, and, and especially in our community, we focus on, you know, the football and basketball. 
And that's another reason why I really got into the sport because I actually work with this DC Bike Academy to help show kids that there's more than just football and basketball. Like you can actually get out here and make it to the tour. But you got to remember those individuals in the tour, they're groomed from, you know, three years old. They're already on the bike. Their muscle memory, it's on a different level. And that's why they're elite because they've just been riding, just putting mouths in for so long. Because yes, you're talking about 21 stages, only two days of rest, and you have to do 100-plus miles in the Alps, climb mountains, sprint, and you have to perform at, at that high level, yes, that, that right there is the pinnacle of the sport. And everyone, of course, everyone wants to get there, but getting there, you have to want the work just bad as you want to actually participate in that because you have to put the work in to actually get selected on those teams. You know, you, know, you had a Columbine, so... You know, the U23, that means under 23, they compete. The teams that's in the tour, they, they essentially sit there and scout them. Well, Sean, first of all, thank you for your insight as to what it takes to be a bicycle racer. And we really appreciate you being on Future City. Thank you for allowing me to be on here. Thanks, Sean Flournoy. I'm Charles Robinson, and you're listening to Future City here on 88.1 WYPR. Cycling is a lifetime sport, which provides enjoyment for those who are young and young at heart. With the Maryland Cycling Classic in our backyard, we get to see the best racers in the world without a charge. These are finely tuned athletes. There are countries represented from all over the world. So why Baltimore? We are a welcoming city with architecture that speaks to the many immigrants shaping its landscape and culture. We see the many monuments in and around our city and think of them as backdrops. The world is blown away by our history and think that's a place I want to visit. We want to welcome the world to our home. Thank you to today's guests for sharing their expertise and allowing us to hear their knowledge. Future City is produced and edited by Spencer Bryant. You can listen to extended conversations with all of our guests and find out more about them by visiting WYPR.org and search for Future City. We welcome your feedback, and you can email us with your thoughts and questions about the show at Future City, that's one word, at WYPR.org. Until next time, I'm Charles Robinson for 88.1 WYPR and my producer, Spencer Bryant, and everyone who makes Future City possible. We hope your dreams of tomorrow become a reality. I'm your host, Charles Robinson. Future City is made possible by McCormick and Company. Through its Flavor for Life program, McCormick helps teach kids and families in Baltimore how to replace salt, sugar, and fat. More information can be found at McCormickCorporation.com.